Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, this is the Ayers on Ayers on the Road, and boy, oh boy, have we ever been on the road. I'm, I'm finally back home after a long trip, a speaking trip where we were speaking in New Jersey and in New York and recently in Edmonton, Canada. But Linda didn't make it with me to Edmonton, Canada, because she took off from New York and headed over to London, and she is on baby watch, and I've got her on the phone. And Linda, are we having a baby yet? Have we got a new grandson yet? Well, not yet, but we are so excited here in London. We we get a double whammy this time. We uh, have a grandbaby due in New York City on April 15th, and then we have another one due in London on the 21st, but the one on the 15th is always late, and the one on the 21st is always early, so with luck, we might hit the same day. <laughs> so that's why you're in London and not in New York, right? Right. Luckily, there's another mother covering the one in New York, so I get to be here with um, Charity and Ian Wright, who live in London, have been there for, here for a couple of years, and I am looking out at blue sky and the most gorgeous spring day here. It's gorgeous. And we're sorry we can't have Linda on on the good audio on on the computer connection, but uh, you know things are a little uh, hard in the third world countries like like England. <laughs> <laughs> So we know her quality of audio is not so great, but we wanted her to say hello. And Linda, um, what do you think? I mean, can you make a prediction? Is today the day that that new little baby will enter the world? You know, when you get to the end, there is no saying, but, you know, it seems pretty imminent from all the signs. So um, they have one other little boy who's just about to turn two and um, in July. And so we know how that is. Uh, we had to really close it the first, but wow, are we excited. Yeah. Is there anything more exciting than waiting for the arrival of a new little soul? And you, you just wonder who will be. And, and the interesting thing for us is that we, uh, you know, with these two pregnancies going on right now and two new grandchildren coming, the one in London where Linda is, we know is a little boy, but the one in New York where Eli, our youngest son, and his wife, Julie, are, we don't know because they don't know. They're, they like surprises, and so it could be a boy and it could be a girl. It drives us nuts. In fact, we, we asked him the number of the doctor. We thought we could call and let us find out, even if you don't want to know. <laughs> well, you asked the question, is there anything more exciting than waiting? And the answer is yes. The arrival <laughs> is much more exciting and this is going to be especially exciting, and I'll, I'll tune in next week and tell you why. But we are very excited about this little boy coming down to earth from heaven to London. All right, I'm going to let you go for a minute, Linda, and do the rest of the first part of this show. But if you don't mind, I think listeners would appreciate it if I called you back at the start of the second segment to find out if anything's happened in the intervening 15 minutes. See you soon. All right. We'll talk in a minute. And I think it'll be fun to chat a little bit today with babies on our minds. Some authors, you may have heard this before, um, 
talk about writing a book in, in the metaphor of having a baby. You work on it, you struggle with it, you, you go through a lot of ups and downs, and when you finally get it published, it's like the delivery of a baby. And so I guess Linda and I are both in that dual situation where we're, we're expecting these two babies and, and brand new ones, brand new grandchildren. And we've also both got a brand new book and um, delivered just about at the same time. We've talked a little about it before. I'm not going to mention too much because we'll do a, a future show about these two new books. But suffice it to say, they're on grandparenting. And the interesting thing is, we originally started out writing a book on grandparenting together. We always write, like to write books together, and that's been our precedent over the years. But we got partway into it, and guess what we realized? Grandfathers and grandmothers are two very different animals. And uh, so we split ways. We decided to do my book would be on grandfathers grandfathering. The name of it is Being a Proactive Grandfather. And Linda's book would be To Grandmothers. And and it is just barely out. It's available on Amazon, but it won't be generally released until just the week before Mother's Day. So about two weeks from now. And uh, we want to do a special show on those two books here on BYU Radio, probably two weeks from now. But uh, the funny thing is, <laughs> my book ended up, well, it didn't end up, this was by design, my, the, the book on grandfathering is about an, a half an inch thick. It's pretty pithy, it's to the point. We, we felt like grandfathers weren't going to sit down and, and read too much. Linda's grandmothering book, on the other hand, is 450 pages, <laughs> and it includes a lot of recipes and lots of other things, and I think it's indicative of the uh, of the mentality uh, of, of grandmothers versus grandfathers. But I think they're both valuable books, and we're excited about them because did you know this? Did you know there are 90 million grandparents in the United States of America, more than there have ever been before? The baby boomer generation, the biggest generation of all, is, is mostly grandparents now, and so... We're hoping these books will be a little bit helpful to those who want to be proactive grandparents and who want to get involved with their kids. You know, in most of the world, um, you listeners know this, when you say family, it's not like saying family in, in the U.S., where we usually mean the nuclear family, we mean the parents and the kids. Most of the world, when you say family, you're talking about at least three generations who probably live in the same home. And the grandparents are highly involved, in some cases more involved than the parents in the raising of children. And there's a kind of a team effort. And uh, where I was speaking the other night in, in Canada and in Edmonton, um, I happened to mention that these books were coming out. And, and two people came up afterwards and said, you know, we've decided that we're going to go back to the, the old model or the model of most of the world and our the grandparents have now moved in with us and we live in in one home and there's uh, the grandparents and the parents and the kids and and we find it to be wonderful we find it to be a team approach we, it gives us all more flexibility 
we all go out and do what we need to do and share the raising of these children. And uh, someone else was standing in the discussion there and said, boy, that wouldn't work with me. I could no more live with my mother-in-law than fly to the moon. And so clearly there are different opinions on that, but I'm getting off the track a little. The, the point is we will do a couple of, uh, probably two BYU radio shows specifically on grandparenting and on these two new books. And we'll try to do them before Mother's Day and we'll certainly do them before Father's Day. So back to the point of today's show, babies and books. Um, some similarities, although uh, most books take longer than nine months to get ready to, to publish. But um, when it comes to babies, there is nothing more exciting than the arrival of a new baby. And, and one of the things that's been on our mind lately, partly because of the decisions some of our children are making and partly because of our concern about some aspects of, of smaller and smaller family size. So we've been writing lately on, um, on this question of how many children to have and on, on what some of the trends are and so on. And I want to share some thoughts with you today about, about that. We did, a, we did an article for Meridian Magazine recently, just this, during this last week, a two-part article. And we titled the first of the two, um, Should We Get a Dog or a Baby? And then the subtitle is Why the First Commandment Ever Given is So Relevant Today. Meridian um, didn't want to be quite as flip as the dog and baby title, so they they just titled it Why the First Commandment Ever Given is So Relevant Today. But I want to share a little of those two articles and, and commentate a little on why they're a concern to us and why we've been thinking a lot of, along these excuse me, along these lines. <clears throat> so so here it goes. Don't we all want someone to take care of, someone to love, someone who's dependent on us, someone who we can adore and who adores us, someone who loves us unconditionally and who we love back in the same way? Don't, we, don't most of us feel this need for someone we can teach and watch as they grow and someone who delights us? Now, most people, when they read that paragraph or hear that question, um, some might be thinking of a spouse or a good friend or a sister or, you know, some student they're mentoring, but most people would be thinking of a child. But that isn't necessarily the case across the world these days. More and more people, when they think about someone to love, someone who's dependent on us, someone we can adore, someone we can take care of, guess what? They're thinking of a dog. And as we wrote this this article, we've been traveling so much, and we were in Manhattan recently, and and we were in the neighborhood grocery store of where our son and daughter-in-law shop on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and there was a whole huge aisle in this particular store for pet food and pet supplies. And we were actually looking for diapers, and we couldn't find any. We finally found an obscure corner of the store where there was a, a few jars of baby food and, and, and a few boxes of diapers. 
And I thought, wow, you know, this, this neighborhood is far more oriented to, to pets than it is to, to babies. And then when we, the day we actually wrote the article, we were in, in California, we were at Laguna beach and I took a walk that morning and, um, you know, it was a Saturday morning and I just counted and, and I passed 27 people who had a dog who were walking their dog and I passed zero parents with babies. And so you have to ask yourself, <clears throat> is there, and, and you know, and part of this stems from discussions that I'd had with people who were saying, you know, we are not going to have children. Instead, we're going to get a dog as though they were somehow uh, one was a substitute for the other. And, and so maybe we got to go back to those first questions and add some more questions. Don't we also want someone we can teach values to someone we can set the example for someone who we can teach by their innocence and awareness, someone who will someday take care of us. So the comparison with dogs ends pretty quickly when we get to these deeper questions the conundrum of whether to get a dog or a baby becomes a bit shallow and seems to run out when we think more seriously or more in the long term. Now, don't get us wrong. We love dogs. We, we've had a half dozen dogs, and, and they were great, but we got them for our children. We didn't get them in place of children. So I want to talk a little more in the second half of the show about the trends um, both in this country and in the world and in the Mormon church where we live in this culture and how they're all headed in the same direction towards less children and, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So, so stay with us. We're going to get Linda back on the line for a minute and see if there's any labor or the beginning of childbirth going on in London. And we'll continue our discussion about how to decide how many children to have. So we'll be right back on Ayers on the Road. And we're back on Ayers on the Road, and I've got Linda on the phone again. And Linda, are we getting any labor pains going on? Come on, what's happening over there? <laughs> no, that, <clears throat> that baby's happily playing with his mother, and the father is happily studying for a test, and their life is going on outside, even though it's crazy inside here waiting for this baby and all could be i don't think it'd be more than just a few days but i'm glad i'm here wait i thought a few hours i thought this i thought today was going to be the day oh well you can never tell you know you can never tell pains yeah. have stopped and there's no problem so i mean you know i don't know if it's a problem or not a problem it, anyway we are excited one way or the other. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep the phone right here. And if anything happens during the second half of the show, you call and we'll let the, the, the listeners in on the excitement. All right. All Have right. A good one. So Linda's, Linda's holding forth there in London waiting baby watch. We call it baby watch and we're excited. This will be uh, this will be our 30th grandchild. It's hard to believe. Unless the one in New York takes a little speedier course and shows up first. So it's kind of like a little race. So we are really now this this is sort of a <laughs> setting the stage. So here's someone with 30 grandchildren talking to you about whether kids should have more kids. <laughs> 
And you may say I have a biased viewpoint, but we have been thinking a lot about this. And you know what's interesting is that the trends, uh, well, let me jump back one more step. In this article that I'm referring to in Meridian Magazine, we wrote about the first commandment God ever issued to man. And I guess you could make a case that it was the statement to multiply and to replenish the earth. And um, God didn't say it'd be easy, and he didn't say avoid responsibility and keep your options open, and he didn't say the commandment would no longer apply or be relevant in 2018. So the question is, um, is it a good or bad thing that birth rates are declining in most of the developed world? Now, you know, a lot of us grew up in a time when the goal was zero population growth, and there was a great deal of worry about overpopulation and so on. But, you know, uh, we got to update our thinking. and We need to understand that uh, many, many countries now, in fact, most countries in the developed world now have a negative birth rate. In other words, their, their birth rate is below 2.1, which is the replacement average. So essentially their populations are declining unless immigration comes in and, and changes it. We were in Singapore not long ago, and we were interested to learn that the government now pays a $10,000 bonus to each woman who gives birth to a child. Now, why would they do this? Because their fertility rate is less than one birth per woman. It's about 0.9, and the replacement rate, again, is 2.1. So they're running out of people, and they have to rely on in-migration to keep an adequate workforce. And so we looked up the figures, and out of there's 224 countries in the world, 224 nation states, if you will, and the, the source for this is... Um, is uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, their, their world factbook. And, and their number is that there's 224 nation states or countries in the world. And half, more than half of those, 116 countries out of 224, now have a negative birth rate. In other words, their population is declining. Of course, that's not the case in Africa and in certain in many of the third world countries where the birth rate, you could certainly argue, is too high and there's a lot of poverty and a lot of malnutrition, a lot of starvation. But these developed countries are losing populations. Now, is, how would you compare that with our local culture, with the, the, with the, the LDS church or with other um, cultures that uh, that might be very religious in 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 their orientation and the interesting thing is that the trends are going the same way that the populations are declining we're a little behind that that trend our birth rates are not going down as much as that but they certainly are going down and, and essentially we like to say that you know Maybe three is the new six, whereas maybe last generation would have six children. This generation might have three. And that's okay. I mean, one of the things you have to be so careful of is that one size doesn't fit all. And clearly, some people would like more children and can't, can't have them. Other people, um, you know, are limited by their circumstances or by their temperament. And, and it has to be an individual decision, hopefully one that's prayed about. But it is interesting that 
so many young families, millennial families, uh, recently married people, um, tend to have their default switch set to off. What I mean by that is, you know, they're essentially saying, well, we, if, if we get inspired to have a child, if we feel that we should have a baby, then we will. But, 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 but until we feel that, the default switch is off. It seems to me that maybe for those who believe in the importance of children, and some, at least in, in the LDS theology, believe that these children come from a pre-mortal existence and that they're in need of coming to this earth. They're in need of a family. They're in need of a mortal body. It seems there could be an argument made for maybe the default switch should be on on. In other words, we expect to have a child and we will delay that birth or having that child if we feel inspired to turn the switch off for a little while. You see the difference I'm pointing out? Is the default switch on off or is it on on? And of course, that's compounded by the the factor in the world that uh, the first child is coming much, much later statistically than it used to be. It's just an interesting thing to think about. I'll tell you one one counter trend that we're we're encountering every once in a while now. Um, we have a friend in in, uh, in Europe who went the exact opposite. She was a brilliant woman. She did very, very well in school. She had a lot of career potential, but she made the choice to have children as a young mother. She actually, in this case, had four children and raised them. And when the last one went off to, uh, to college, this woman was in her early 40s, and then she had her career. And she's now maybe 15 years into that career, and um, will and she figures she'll stay with it till she's 70 or so. She'll have a 30-year career after raising her children. Now, some might say, well, you, that's hard. You, you've got to be a pretty brilliant woman to pick up a career at 40 when you haven't worked uh, in, the, in the workplace uh, before that. But still, biologically, that pattern would make a little more sense than perhaps uh, the other pattern. Uh, it's, it's amusing to sometimes ask young couples, um, are you, you know, when they say we're done, we've got two kids or whatever, and we don't, we don't want any more. We, in some cases we've got three or four. What, well, why, why, why are you not considering having another child? Well, there aren't enough seatbelts in our car. Well, <laughs> uh, that's just a trivial reason, but a lot will say we can't afford another child. And some have read these ridiculous statistical articles that come out every once in a while in the news that it costs half a million dollars to raise a child or whatever. And we've dug into those a little and they use some pretty fallacious assumptions. They're, they're, they're planning on an Ivy league education. They're planning on a separate room for each child in the home. They're, they're factoring in a lot of costs that really don't happen. And for many families, uh, an additional child is, is not a big expense. It's a, it's an economy of scale. The child fits into the rest of the family and, and, uh, the, the expense is far less than what some of these articles tell us that it would be. 
But getting back to this idea of multiplying and replenish, it's such an interesting wording in, in Genesis. And, uh, you know, the, the two words are so interesting, multiply and replenish. Replenish the earth. Replenish is a powerful word. I think we're all replenished by, by the arrival of a new child. It, it's good for us. It teaches us so many things. It's, it's not easy, but it's, and, and sometimes that's what we worry about is does the discussion or does the decision for some couples come down to how hard it is to have a child and how, how much of our freedom we would lose by having another child and so on. And should we think more in terms of the joy that children bring into our lives I guess one way to look at it is, you know, think about your own acquaintances. And do you know anyone who says, gee, I wish I had one less child. I wish I hadn't had that last one. I'm, maybe there are cases like that. Or, I, you know, I've got three and I wish I only had two. Or I've got four and I wish I only had three. Um, you don't hear that. What you do hear more and more and more, though, especially from couples who waited a long time and then found they couldn't have children or couldn't have as many as they'd hoped for. You hear the sentiment, I wish I had one more. I just wish we'd gotten started a little sooner. So I'm not trying to be stir the pot here or create controversy. I'm just saying it's a, it's a decision that I wish couples would work harder at and would really analyze and would really say, um, you know, what are the pros and cons and, and are we ready and could we handle another one? Not could we do it easily and not would it be completely convenient for us, but is it something we want to do? And I want to end with one interesting thought that um, as we travel now and speak to parents around the world, there actually is a counter trend going on. One of the groups we speak to a lot is called Young Presidents Organization, and it's it's young entrepreneurial families. And, and uh, you know, it used to be that they all wanted to have two kids. Now, as we go around to this same group, and we've been speaking to them around in different parts of the world, different chapters they have for 30 years. And now, as we go around, it's like they have three, and they're trying to decide whether to have four. There is, a, among educated middle-class people, there's actually a, a tendency to want to have more children than parents did 10 or 15 years ago. And I'm wondering if in the LDS church, our trend will turn around also, or whether it will continue to lag behind and, and we'll have less and less children. Just some thoughts to think about. Um, thanks for bearing with me without Linda being on for most of the show today. We love all of you listeners, and we'll look forward to joining you again. By the way, we'll get back to our series on the 10 top, the top 10 parenting tips. And we'll do that next time on Ayers on the Road. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.